Welcome aboard Imagination Skyway, your grand podcast tour of the magic. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and in today's episode, we're going to kick off a two-part conversation about the music of the Disney revival era. This is coming off a conversation that we had earlier this year about the music of the Disney Renaissance, which took us from The Little Mermaid in 1989 until Tarzan in 1999, a fantastic period of time in Disney history. This one is another great era that I am excited to discuss and share with all of you, which takes us from The Princess and the Frog in 2009 until Encanto in 2021. I'm joined by my cousin Mike once again. Again, as we talk about the history of the Disney revival era, how it came about, and what is uh, most important to know about this period of time. And then we deep dive in part one about the music of The Princess and the Frog, Tangled, Winnie the Pooh, Wreck-It Ralph, and Frozen. And then in part two, I encourage you to join us again in a week from now, where we're going to wrap up the final films in the Disney revival era and share some last thoughts about why this period of time is such a critical one in Disney history and what we have to say about the music as a whole. At the end of the show, we'll return to Imagination Central, where I'll share some ways in which you can stay connected with Imagination Skyway, how you can discuss this topic with others, and how you can help to support and inspire the future of this podcast. Please remain seated, keep your hands and arms inside the podcast at all times, and enjoy your Grand Circle Tour aboard Imagination Skyway. When we talk about the music of our favorite Disney films, we often go to immediately, usually the Disney Renaissance, especially if you're our age, my age, which is why we did a podcast episode or two podcast episodes at the beginning of this year about the music of the Disney Renaissance. And that episode was so well received that I knew we had to jump to another decade or another period of time in Disney history. And we're taking a little bit of a risk with this one because there's an argument to be made, which I, I will probably attempt to make at the end of this episode. And we'll see how long of a shelf life that argument has as to whether or not we have reached the end of this era. The official or unofficial, I should say, name of this era is the Disney Revival Era. There's a lot of terms in era history. Even the Disney Renaissance is sort of an unofficial name. It's not something you will always hear Disney mention. But we think about the Disney Revival era as the period of time taking us from 2009 with The Princess and the Frog up till, well, we'll, we'll argue we're going to go up until Encanto, which was in 2021, about a 12-year period of time. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. I should probably first introduce back to the show our favorite guest for Mouse in the Music episodes, which is my cousin Mike. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. I'm glad to be back. I, am I glad had to so have much fun with that episode, by the way. The Disney Renaissance was so much fun. I loved everything about that. I got the seal of approval from Joanna that it was a really great pair of episodes. So that usually is a good sign because she will 
definitely let me know if something is off or if if there's room for improvement. She keeps me honest with these podcast episodes. So I was really great to hear that and really glad to hear that. And uh, it encouraged me to get back together. Same thing. Like I had a great time chatting with you about the Disney Renaissance music. And when I thought about this period of time in Disney history, um, you and I spoke about it actually in person when I went to visit you in Phoenix, not that long ago, how much incredible music there was uh, and there is during this period of time. Um, and then just doing the research on this this period is really made me realize how much music is in here. Um, very much, probably the same. If you actually count the number of songs that are hits, probably a similar number to the Disney Renaissance. Um, it is, and you know what is I? Growing up, we both experienced the Disney Disney Renaissance film. So from a nostalgic aspect of it, those films are really near and dear to our heart because that was part of our childhood. So it was curious when I was doing research into these films as an adult, how much enjoyment would I have? I, I love these films. I've seen, you know, all except ironically for one, but I've seen all these, you know, the majority of these films. And honestly, doing the research for these, I had just as much fun, if not more. Yes. Researching into these films in the Disney revival era than even the Disney Renaissance. And I'll definitely, I can't wait to explain why, but I really, really enjoyed uh, doing a massive deep dive into each of these films and the people that are behind it that made such incredible music towards them. Yeah, it's interesting when I thought about this from a generational perspective, too, because, Mike, for you and I, we're both millennials and the Disney Renaissance was our time growing up that was going to mcdonald's and getting the happy meal toys for the lion king and aladdin Mm -hmm. and um enjoying watching these films on our vhs tapes when they finally came (laughs) you know out of theater what's vhs tapes i don't remember those (laughs) um but this period of time is really for gen z i mean if if you were a gen z growing up like you probably your first movie growing up when you were let's say you were born in like 2002 like you would have been about four years old when the sorry not four years old you would have been about seven years old i can't do the math good about seven when the princess and the frog came out yep. um and i when i think about the the fans who really love tangled of course there were fans of all ages who love tangled but i just feel like princess rapunzel um is really a, a big hit with gen z same thing with princess tiana who is my favorite disney princess which we're going to talk about um but like this is a long story short, like this is really if you if you are in Gen Z, like this is your your time of growing up was with these movies. In addition to just like you and I, Mike, like we also grew up with the movies from the Silver Age and the Golden Age of of Disney history, the wartime era. Like we watched all of those films, too. And we have nostalgia for watching Snow White and Dumbo, um, but more nostalgia for seeing Disney Renaissance films in theaters, much like Disney revival films. A big hit with our Gen Z listeners um, for their memories growing up watching these movies. So really interesting period of time from a, a generational perspective when I thought about it that way. Absolutely. Let's do what we did last time, because if okay. it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, so <laughs> we're like the first time. Hey, we're going to do it the second time around. We're going to we're going to we're going to kind of go through the same philosophy, the same formula here. I want to start by listing out the movies. There are more movies in the Disney revival era than there are in the Disney Renaissance. So we 
go from 10 in the Disney Renaissance over a period of 12 years to 12 in the Disney Revival era over a period of 12 years. So Disney really ramped it up. And it starts with The Princess and the Frog in 2009. That takes us into Tangled in 2010. Winnie the Pooh, one that a lot of people usually forget, in 2011, Winnie the Pooh was also the last hand-drawn animated film from Walt Disney Animation Studios, which makes it a significant movie. Wreck-It Ralph in 2012, Frozen in 2013, Big Hero 6 in 2014. We skipped 2015, but we have two in 2016, Zootopia and Moana, a really big year in Disney animation history. Uh, Again, skip 2017. We have Ralph Breaks the Internet in 2018, Frozen 2 in 2019, Raya and the Last Dragon in 2021, and Encanto in 2021 part of that had to do with production delays because of the pandemic um but still we have another couple of great films in uh what we can maybe consider to be the last two years of disney revival era history the uh you know the history of this is interesting too because when we spoke about the disney renaissance you and i connected and talked about how this was really a result of michael eisner um, starting up in the company and Frank Wells, so I should give credit to both of them, um, sort of joining the Walt Disney Company in the mid 80s and working towards changing, turning things around with Walt Disney Animation Studios, putting more of an emphasis back into the films. And that brought us to The Little Mermaid in 1989, about that five year production cycle. It is that, you know, we have the talent of this though with Michael Eisner's last years, not 100% just because of. Michael Eisner changing philosophies, but also because of financial issues uh, globally with the economy, with Disney. Disney took a financial hit with Disneyland Paris or Euro Disneyland when it first opened. There were also lots of issues around the early 2000s when it came to um, the travel industry in general. Uh, It was not a great time for the travel industry. Um, So for a lot of these, those are some of the reasons. Plus, there was a competitor that Disney was working with, but got into a bit of a rift with at Pixar, and Pixar sort of became the the shining star in animation. We talked about this a little bit um, at the tail end of the Disney Renaissance episodes. And eventually, we see Michael Eisner leave the Walt Disney Company, and he is succeeded by Bob Iger, who took on the role of a CEO in the mid-2000s, you know, about 20 years after Michael Eisner started, um, and was sort of groomed under Michael Eisner into that role. And he did a very much a lot of the same things that Michael Eisner did in the beginning of trying to turn things around um, and shift creative control and and reemphasize the Disney Animation Studios, um, form a marriage with Pixar, um, sort of like sever uh, or it's not sever to turn around that severed relationship, bring the bring the companies together, um, put John Lasseter. And the folks at Pixar um, give them more a seat at the table at Walt Disney Animation Studios. And if you look at that, within four years or so of of Bob Iger starting up as CEO, we have The Princess and the Frog, which kicks off the Disney revival era. And it really does take us like Bob Iger's tenure up until um, when Bob Chapek took over. I know Bob Iger's back now, but <laughs> up until the end of his initial tenure, um, you know, really carried us through the the Disney revival era from beginning to end. Mike, was there anything else that you found interesting in terms of the history of the Disney revival era from your collective memory or from any of the research you might have done for this episode? You know, it's interesting because with the Disney revival era, if you think about the time frame, is that at that point, 
not only did Bob Iger become CEO of Disney, but the same token, within like a year or two after he became CEO was when they acquired Pixar, was one of his very first major decisions. And at the time, there's a lot of concern from the animation studio for Disney Animation, what their place is going to be now that Pixar's on board, because Pixar had hit after hit after hit, and Disney has was not during this period of time. So they're wondering, do, will they have a job? Are they going to be absorbed into Pixar? Are they going to have lose the culture that they've had cultivated for decades? So there was a lot of concern there. And so you can tell that with these feature movies, that fortunately, you know, starting especially with, with Tangled, and we get to Princess and the Frog in a second, but especially with Tangled moving forward, you can tell that there is some Pixar influence there. But it still has its own identity, its own style, its own culture. And that's something that you can look at documentaries because especially John Lasseter really covers this is he talked about how they made sure that the two studios were separate, but the same token, they had the same amount of support um, between them and making sure that the Walt Disney animation studios did have its own identity, did have its own culture. And one of the things that I really appreciated was during this time, this was, I think, in two... Uh, when did Princess and the Frog come out again? 2009. 2009. 2009. So this was a year prior. So 2008 was the very first year I've ever went to D23. And it was an amazing time because this was the time that literally brought into picture the Disney revival era and also the feature of Pixar as well. And one of the things that they... That, they mentioned uh, John Lasseter was up on stage talking about these animated films. And when they announced Princess the Frog, it was their way of showing people that the Walt Disney Animation Studio is here to stay. It's not going away because Pixar is come is, you know, is coming in. Like they're still going to have their own thing. And they really were were proud of the fact of going back to some, you know, 2D animation for this particular film. And Everyone was in cheers when they made this announcement for Princess and the Frog. Everybody was so excited and and because of the love of 2D animation. And yeah, even though Winnie the Pooh was end up being the last one, you can see that they really were able to integrate computer animation and tell stories in a different way while still being true to what Walt Disney Animation is all about. And a big part of that is the music behind them. It is. It's true. Um, <clears throat> and I do, you know, you, you're right. You can see a lot of the uh, the impact that Pixar has in Disney Animation Studios with some of these films. And the the attempt to go back to 2D animation after the post-Disney Renaissance era, which maybe we'll talk about someday. There's not as much music, but there actually is still quite a bit of music to talk about in there. Uh, you know, it's... <clears throat> It's interesting that we do have just a couple of films with that that traditional 2D hand in hand drawn animation before we then shift into now we're we're just in this computer animated world. But I, I do think that's where Walt would have eventually taken us as well. It's blending the current technology and animation with the the fundamental ideals of Disney animation. That's definitely always Walt was thinking next step. And if he saw computer animation, he would have been all over it in the he 90s. Would have been all, a little, oh, absolutely. Know? He would have been all over that. Absolutely. I mean, think about it, right? He was like, he was the one who developed the multiplane camera concept with animation. I mean, he was already back then 
testing technologies and seeing how far that it can prove on animation and just computer animation is able to do things that would take you know that just basically enhances the storytelling i mean that's just it's just the same and yes we love traditional 2d animation i love you know 2d hand-drawn animation it's absolutely beautiful beautiful artwork but the same token too like you said walt disney always was an innovator he always was a forefront of technology and for sure if that once he once computer animation became a thing, you know, I honestly think going back then, if D- Walt Disney knew about Pixar at the same time Steve Jobs bid, did, I guarantee you Walt would have outbid Steve and get an acquired Pixar. <laughs> back then. Guaranteed. Or had his animators try to do the same thing. Yeah, or had yeah, or exactly. Yeah. <laughs> animators do the exact same thing. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, it's so. It's it's definitely an interesting period of time, and I think now when you go to see a Disney movie and you see it in computer animation, you don't blink an eye, and the breathtaking visuals really add to the 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 impact of that as well. Not to really downplay the beauty of the 2D animated films, hand drawn animated films as well, with Princess and the Frog being a particularly gorgeous film uh, with 2D hand drawn animation. So uh, you know we're not obviously this this episode is about music, but there is a historical aspect to the animation that's worth discussing here too. Absolutely. And then that's the thing is it, to make something like this work, it's, it's, it's everybody, right? It's, it is between the animators and the music and the direction and the editing and the, the cast. And I mean, everything that is about it, like has to be done so well to make a film great. So it's, it's all integrated together. It is. So before we get into our movies, I have to ask the same question I asked you last time, Mike. We're at the end going to maybe come up with our favorite score or soundtrack or song. You can take some time to think about it as we talk through these movies. But I want to start with just the movie level from the Disney revival era. What is your favorite movie in this time period? Ooh, that's a good question. Okay. That's a really hard question. I had a lot more I had a lot harder time with this one than I did with the Disney Renaissance. It's <laughs> okay. a lot of good ones in here. Can I can I pick two? For two uh, different sure. Ones? Yeah, go because pick two. That's fine. Because if you also remember two, and this actually is relevant, is that this was also the time during the Disney revival era that they would go back and forth between uh I would say like a quote unquote princess related film, where it's like more closer to a musical, and then they went to something that was a little bit more um towards uh, you know, a, a you know, a masculine gender, like, you know, Big Hero Six and Wreck It Ralph and so forth. And they like kind of went back and forth. So they would cover lots of ground in different um, you know, of different interests. Um and and obviously music has a major play in all these different films, but I feel like that there's there's the musical as more type films and then there's also the the you know, more you know general films kind of like big hero six and things like that so true i have two favorites from each like that's why i have two favorites because i okay. have from each one of them and that's why it's Go hard for it there. uh i would say from the non-musical side is uh wreck it ralph i'm a huge you know i love video games and it was what it was such a great not only a great story but the the easter eggs in the whole thing and it was just so fun and enjoyable I, I mean from start to finish is amazing so um and uh you know i i wish i had something that was uh, colored salmon here so i could say it's clearly salmon but i don't have anything <laughs> salmon behind me maybe, maybe a little bit of that painting salmon, um, salmon. salmon. it's clearly <laughs> salmon so that would be Wreck-It Ralph on the non-musical end. And then on the uh, musical side, uh, Moana, for sure. That is a film that I can watch over, even to this day, over and over and over again and would not get tired of it. I love 
everything about that film from beginning to end it is such a joy to watch it is such a great story a story that is normally not told in general especially when it comes to films geared towards children and i loved everything about it and the music is one is definitely by far one of my go-to songs when i'm in the mood for listening to disney music which is almost every day um <laughs> that moana's mu- you know songs are probably the most prevalent in my playlist these days and any other so it, i just love everything about that movie we share the same musical answer. I, I, I was tempted to say Encanto, but when I really think there's always the the recency bias with Disney movies. And when I really think about it, Moana is, I think, more impactful for me or, or the, a movie that I like from the musical perspective more. Um, but my my non-musical answer is different from yours, which is Zootopia. I, I love that. I really like Zootopia as well. And honestly, I think for the fact that it, because of me uh, growing up on video games, I would say Zootopia is a real close second for me as well. That was yeah. that was one of those unexpected like films that I, I came out going, I did not expect to be that. Like I heard people say it was amazing. And I was like, I didn't expect it to be that good. So yeah. I, I would agree with you on that one. I'm, I'm excited to talk about the movie. I mean, it, we're, we're going to talk about the music mostly, but yeah, it, it starts one. The first half of the movie is different than the second half of the movie. And you're like, Very oh, much. this is where this movie is going. And it really brings it home at the end. And it's really wonderful film. But we have to talk first when we go through this list about the first Disney revival era movie, which is The Princess and the Frog, which we noted came out in 2009. This movie is impactful for a lot of reasons. We said it was one of the last 2D hand-drawn animated films. It was the last hand-drawn princess film. Um, On the flip side of that, it was our first uh, black princess in Disney history. There's a blend of different musical genres that were not present in previous, at least not Disney Renaissance era films. There is some, we get some jazz and other Disney films in Disney history, but that was more prevalent in history, <laughs> like the 60s mm-hmm. and the 50s had a little more jazz in, in popular culture. But, um, you know, we have a hearkening back to jazz music and some blending of new genres as well. And it's you know, it it also did start kind of a shift into this new era from a storytelling perspective. It really does straddle the line between the classic stories of the Disney Renaissance and before with some of a, a new feeling for uh, some of the new direction. Because if you look at the movies and the stories in the Disney revival era, they are very, um, they take on different themes and tones than previous films. Not hundred percent unique there are certainly overlaps with every disney movie um but the the general trend does change and modernize during the disney revival era as we hope that they continue to do going forward as well um though now we do have i mean john lasseter is the one who really kind of spearheaded princess and the frog so that's worth mentioning and it's important to note that because our composer (laughs) For Princess and the Frog is Randy Newman. Randy not a surprise. <laughs> Newman. And not a surprise it, with John Lasseter. No, but it was also kind of interesting too, is that he was not the the first like he was not the one that was first being considered. Alan Menken actually was the first one being considered. They were really you know, going back to traditional 2D animation. They were gonna bring back, you know, the one that started the Renaissance and Alan Menken, right? And 
it was interesting because he, even though he was originally considered, the reason why they decided, uh, you know, that he wasn't the right fit at the time was because he just came off of Enchanted. Right. And they really didn't want to confuse, <laughs> like, where Enchanted is, is meant to be, a, you know, a, essentially a, a parody of the of these type of films. To have them literally come back right after Enchanted and to do The Prince of the Frog, they felt, okay, we maybe want to do something a little bit separate. And the other thing I found really interesting was the choice of Randy Newman is that he has a background in jazz. Like he was a jazz composer. In fact, um, he's mentioned before that uh, he was largely influenced by Ray Charles. So it also made sense for him to have that that jazz influence in Princess and the Frog. And as you mentioned, there's a mix of like Cajun and blues all throughout that really makes it, uh, you know, a very diverse uh, score and sound to this film that really hasn't been done much in, in Disney films as of late. And I also want to point out as well, and I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but it's uh, no, one point of the Disney revival era. I felt what they did an amazing job of incorporating music from all cultures around the world. And I felt that this era of music was by far the most diverse out of any time in Disney's history. And that's something I want to point out as well as we go through all these different films. That is very true. There are so many that are even present in this movie, all hearkening back to the blending of cultures in New Orleans. New Orleans is a very diverse city. It's 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 a mix of all different cultures that are there. When you go to New Orleans, it's sort of a, a, a cultural melting pot. Um, <clears throat> that's 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 there. The the, and I, I did mention that John Lasseter spearheaded this. That was more from a production point of view. I should mention for those who do not know, he did not direct this movie. They brought back John Musker and Ron Clements, who did a lot of Disney films during the Disney Renaissance. Are, are two mm-hmm. really, um, you know, if you love Aladdin, you got to thank these two. Like they're, they, they really know how to deliver a solid Disney movie, which is what they did here as well. The interesting, I don't remember if you, or I don't know if you remember this from reading the book, Mike, because I know you've read Creativity, Inc. Um, you know, Princess and the Frog was expected to outperform what it did. And yes. do you remember the reason why they ultimately realized it did not perform as well as they expected it to? Ooh, that is a good question. I honestly, I did read that book. It was a very yes, long time it's a ago. long time ago. This this stuck out in my memory because it is a marketing lesson. So <laughs> from a marketing background, um, <clears throat> it had to do with the name. It the was Princess, the Frog. Princess in it, right? Yeah, they because, they they knew that it was going to oh, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say is that um, it's the reason why I've, that's very interesting is because that influenced future titles. Right, the next princess movie. Right, which would yep. in this case be ta- Tangled, which at the time, and in fact, you can still find it online. It, the original title was going to be just straight up Rapunzel. Like that was going to be the name of it, kind of going with the tradition of that the the princess of the story would be, you know, that that they would be the title of the entire film. And they decided to change their marketing tactics so that it is now focused more on the film overall rather than the title character. Which correct was actually quite controversial but i mean obviously we've seen it, it kind of worked out as it went forward but it was very controversial at the time yeah surprisingly the only exception to that is moana that went back to the the name True. of the title character they went back to yeah they did go back to moana but same thing with frozen i mean originally it was going to be called the snow queen but to be perfectly honest do you do you think it, the film would have been done it has done so well if it was called the snow queen 
I, it's hard. It's hard to say. It's it's, it's hard to say. To say yeah, but you know, <laughs> it's hard to say. And I I think it's I you know I did find it very interesting. Um, uh, a, you know, transition for them. But you're like you said, like they did kind of go back. I guess it really just now depends upon the story that they want to tell, and then right. and then having that title reflect it. And obviously for Moana, that made complete sense. I mean, that was that was her film, like from start to finish, it was her story, you know, throughout. So, uh, did really uh, appreciate that, but you know, but even frozen, I mean, it's just as much about, you know, I, I mean, you can argue that Anna was the main title character over Elsa and, you know, the snow queen would have been more featuring Elsa, which in case doesn't really represent who the main character is. Right. Right. Yeah. Very, very, very true. Um, so, you know, this Princess and the Frog is based off of a book, um, or it's based off of a, a fairy tale of the Frog Prince, and it obviously has much like other Disney movies changes. If you read the the fairy tale, it's not going to be a a very similar story, or sorry, the same exact story. There are obviously some twists that are involved here, but a really solid cast. I think uh, Anika Noni Rose being Tiana. It, it, uh, gorgeous voice uh some like her, her the i love listening to the music from princess and the frog just just because of the composition of the songs but the way that anika sings is incredible um you know seeing keith david play dr facilier and knowing that i've never really seen him sing before and especially in a lot of the movies that he's done in the past you can't really picture him singing but he delivers a really great villain song with uh with the other side our friends on the other side um <clears throat> bruno campos is prince naveen uh michael leon woolley as lewis jim cummings coming back into the picture as ray the firefly and jennifer lewis as mama odie um you know, th besides this cast, though, what was great about this film is there are we have Neo, first of all, who at the time was a, a major um, pop and uh, R&B artists from the uh, the early to mid 2000s singing the, the end credit song Never Knew I Needed You. But there are two other um, artists who are actually in this movie who are who have cultural ties or have connections to new orleans um so the first is dr john who sings down in new orleans it's it's sung in in part in the beginning in the prologue um but there's like he does the main title song down in new orleans um and he a lot of his music uh he, he's a grammy award winner he's a rock and roll hall of famer i have to be honest i did not know much about dr john around princess and the frog but his musical influence is really heavily inspired by new orleans culture um he has a focus on blues soul and funk um and r b so it's an interesting choice to bring him in and then the other one which mike you and i were both uh in jazz band growing up and both played trumpet so i, I know this one's gonna ring a bell with both of us um they have terence blanchard playing the trumpet roles but that uh you know louis louis the alligator i'm sure that um you know the the they didn't necessarily think about casting someone who could also play the trumpet so right. um they did they did they, did, they need to bring in a ringer there for that yeah. one yeah, so they do have Terrence Blanchard. He is so a couple of interesting things about him. So he's a trumpeter from he came from the Lionel Hampton Orchestra. This actually has a Disney tie that is a real deep cut that many people might not know. But the um, Lionel Hampton Orchestra, 
the music from their album is featured is the background music for Port Orleans, Riverside and French Quarter. So when you actually go and walk through those resorts, um, half of the music loop comes from them um, and their album. So that is some direct connection from Terrence Blanchard to Disney Parks. But he also... Um, he's a former artistic director of the Thelonious Monk Institute of Jazz. Thelonious Monk is a, a had a tremendous impact in jazz legend. history. Um, absolute legend. Um, he's also an artistic director of the Henry Mancini, also a big legend in jazz yeah. history, uh, Institute <laughs> of University, University of Miami. And he's a five-time Grammy winner. Um, so they brought in some like real big uh, talent directly tied to New Orleans or jazz history. Um to take part in this film um but again but besides the the sort of what the the, the who who is who of of this uh, particular film and and those I, I didn't know too much about either one of those individuals beyond the scope of uh of what i just mentioned the other thing too is that they brought in the dirty dozen uh brass band to do the right. score that Randy Newman brought in and they had a major influence when it came to, you know, the entire, you know, the entire soundtrack essentially for this film. And uh, one of the things I found was really interesting. And I, I like, okay, normally when you hear shareholder meetings, right, you don't really think exciting. However, during the 2007 Disney shareholder meeting, they actually brought in the Dirty Dozen brass band to perform one of the songs off of uh, for the upcoming film. And I'm like, I wish I was there for that. (laughs) That's the one time I really wish I was at a shareholder meeting. We got a little bit of a taste of that, not at directly the same, but at D23 Expo this past year when they brought out a full orchestra to to play. Oh, which song from the movie did they play? Um, Almost there. It was almost there. I was about to say, yeah. It was almost there, and it was oh, it was spectacular, and uh, what a way to uh, to bring in Tiana's Bayou Adventure, right? Yes, um, whole whole another story. I, I was, <laughs> when, when you, I, I knew this was going to come up in conversation, and I had to mention it because I say this all the time. I get so excited about this attraction whenever I think about the music from Princess and the Frog because oh, it matches the ride perfectly. Oh, it does. Um, I just like I know they're not going to play the entire soundtrack in there, but just going down the bayou. I mean, yeah, I mean, come that, on, that, going down so the bayou. Perfect. It's so perfect, right? <laughs> like at, at many aspects, it could be like pl- close to the beginning. It could be what after you do the laughing place drop, essentially, mm-hmm. and then you're down there, and they can do going down the bayou that way. I mean, so many places. Almost there is to me is the fanfare ending. You know, when after you do the large drop and you go back into the show building. That's oh. right. So many things. Some, when you get when you get to the lowest point of the attraction before you ascend up, you have friends on the other side, or um, oh, that would be uh, per- that would be perfect on the way up on, yep. on the way up the hill. I mean, friends I know on it's the other side of the hill. To be like, <laughs> I know it's technically supposed to be like a uh, like a sequel, for example, you know, to mm-hmm. to the story. So it is. I'm curious, but I mean, I can't imagine them not incorporating the music from the you know from the film into this. I know, and I just hope they have the smell of those man catching beignets in uh, <laughs> <Something> <laughs> wafting throughout the attraction. Now I'm um, that will get that'll get my attention for sure. <laughs> um, so we should talk a little bit about some of the songs that are here. We, we referenced a few of them. We have down in new Orleans, there's a prologue. I love the prologue and the main song that's song again by Dr. John. Um, we have almost there. Probably my favorite song from the movie. Um, I think it is my favorite song from the movie. 
friends on the other side when we're human great great film oh i forgot to mention as well that uh lewis is also inspired by louis armstrong louis, uh yeah louis armstrong um so oh, that yeah. that i mean that's a little obvious because he even references <laughs> louis armstrong yeah, yeah, talking yeah, yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> but definitely uh has some inspiration from an, another jazz legend uh the where was i when we're human gonna take you there um which is that going down the bayou hit uh Mabel Evangeline, Dig a Little Deeper uh, with Mama Odie, and the Down in New Orleans finale. So here's another case where we have uh, not necessarily a reprise, but sort of three different renditions of Down in New Orleans, a prologue version, a finale or epilogue version, and the main song that's sung at the beginning of the film. What is your favorites from this movie? There's a like there's a bunch of really good songs, but to me, almost there. It sums up the entire film. It's such an empowering song. It's uh, everything about it. I love that song by far. Almost there. Yeah, it, about it certainly. It, I, I, that's my favorite song too. It encapsulates Tiana so well and her aspirations. Uh, that's uh, she is my favorite Disney princess. Uh, it, it's her her character her personality her ambition her her ethic her work ethic her um you know her kindness like to just such an all-around well-rounded and i always i always um it's the same reason that i sort of gravitate towards remy as my favorite character for pixar they're both these you know they both have these dreams and these aspirations that they're really willing to work and make sacrifices to see come true because that is really what it takes in the real world to make your dreams come true is yeah. sacrifice yeah. and hard work and belief and constant work and the fact that tiana works three jobs to save up for for this dream role and the fact that she's actually based on a a real person um from New Orleans, Leah Chase, and the restaurant that she started up, which was Dookie Chase's restaurant. She same journey started out as a waitress, um, you know, eventually saved up to to start her own establishment. It's it's a it's a beacon, it's an icon down in New Orleans. Um, so the the fact that they they used reference from a real person, um, a real inspiration to to create the character for Tiana. I also love the fact that they actually took from anika noni rose and her personality and even her her dimple um they re they animated into tiana too to try to make anika very much um in line with tiana they tend to do that a little bit more and more as time goes on with the with the disney characters um but <clears throat> yeah so i a lot of reasons why I absolutely love Almost There. Uh, Gonna Take You There is the other one that's my favorite just because it's yeah. it's really hard to listen to that song and not want to like dance in your seat or... I know. Or, uh, <laughs> First time I, I watched that film, I was like, okay. It's beautiful so with the fireflies and oh, it's yeah. just... Yeah, the sequencing is great. Follow the 
this album surprisingly did not win um an academy award it did not win a grammy it did not win a golden globe it was nominated um but did not win which i you know i find a, a little sad because there is some incredible music that's in here um you know the other interesting thing about this period of time is we don't see you know when i when we talked about the disney renaissance i referenced all of the platinum diamond gold um certified albums you really don't get a lot of that here but a lot of that has to do with technology disney renaissance yeah, you we, didn't have itunes <laughs> you didn't no, have that was Spotify. all straight up cd sales yeah. which was massive during that time this that during the time even prince of the frog was a little bit on the early side but especially when you hit yeah. like tangled and frozen you're now going into the streaming era and it's very different time frame that's a yeah. very, very different thing yeah so you get you know, you're you're watching and you're listening to Encanto music on YouTube or on Spotify. Here or not, yeah. it's going out and buying a CD from uh, Tower Records to <laughs> to add to your collection. But it is interesting to think about that some of Disney's most successful films happened in this era, which is which we'll definitely get to. But I found that yes. is quite amazing that despite the fact that everything's now streaming and also how how Im impactful the disney renaissance was to just you know, our cu culture in general that the disney revival era actually is what hosts the most successful films in in disney history yes that's very true and uh, that also probably has a bit to do with their creative process changing a bit i think it goes even beyond the music but yes it is interesting that in the streaming era it's some of the most successful disney movies have been created um also the impact of a, a global economy there's there's a lot of factors that are at play but a really True, good point to make there but there is it's so interesting that there is there is one that is the most successful and we we don't want to talk about that right now but not yet not yet not we yet. will we will talk we, we will break we don't want to talk, talk about, about it just that. yet <laughs> um got to that joke before i could so, <laughs> <laughs> 11 movies ahead um yeah, let's <laughs> why don't we just drop more hints <laughs> we're uh we're slow crawling through these movies there's not much else to say i, 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 I take the fact there's a lot to say about the princess and the frog but i feel like this was a good overview of this movie um so perhaps we should transition into Tangled because here we do have Alan Menken back into the picture and it he really shows back. I'm yeah they they're like okay this is a good time it's six years it was six years um that uh Alan Menken has not composed you know has not done anything with um any kind of Disney film six years it's a long time yeah but he brings it back to uh really tangled has some incredible music and this did win a grammy um and was nominated for uh, an academy award and a global golden globe for best original song of course i see the light would be that song um but it did win a grammy for i see the light for uh, best song written for visual media the change of the name we already talked about going from rapunzel to tangled this movie comes out in 2010 it is significant because it is the first um or I shouldn't say the first, but it was uh, <clears throat> coming off of it's it's. Oh no, no, I take that back. It, it but it's it's a is it the first Disney princess movie in that's 
in computer animation. I think it actually is, is. in terms of, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. I, like there was, there was something I forgot to write down that was about this movie. <laughs> and that was it. The first computer animated Disney princess movie. Also a quite a different type of Disney princess as well. Um, we see each Disney princess take on different personality and modernize. And I really feel like Rapunzel is a modern Disney princess in a lot of ways. There even a Moana when we get to her, like even more of a modern Disney princess. We'll talk about her too. Um, but an outstanding cast. The casting choice of Rapunzel was spot on. Mandy Moore is a princess. Like her, her, yeah. her voice, perfect. her everything. Like her acting, just everything. She's such a. She's a perfect casting choice for Rapunzel. Um, I'm not going to get too carried away with this, though, because I feel like I stole the show a little bit with Princess and the Frog because I had so much to say. Uh, there's other casts that we can talk about here. But, Mike, what did you research or find out or fig- find to be interesting about Tangled? Well, I found really interesting was Macon's approach to Tangled and that he, from the get-go, mentioned that he wanted to find a way to essentially blend Pixar storytelling with the musical theater style that was very prominent in the Disney revival era. So really was trying to bridge the two together and didn't really realize how much influence Alan Macon has had in kind of helping navigate this new direction for Walt Disney Animation Studios and making sure that they keep their their culture and identity while still incorporating into the studios what you know, what was working over at Pixar, which in this case was the storytelling. So he took that in mind when it came to writing the music for Tangled. And uh, he w- did like, he wanted to do a blend of uh, medieval music with 1960s folk, folk rock. I mean, it was kind of like a really interesting blend of those things. And, you know, it, it took him two and a half years to, to write this. So I thought that was, was really kind of fascinating on how much, how how impactful his involvement was into Tangled, which sounds kind of silly comparison to like the Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid would not have been Little Mermaid without Ellen Mankin, for sure. Oh, for but, sure. But to see him have this kind of influence now, you know, would have been over tw- um, 20 years later almost. Um, is my math correct? A little over 20 years later, you know, he's now back and having this kind of influence w- within the animation studio is absolutely incredible. Um, also, uh, I do want to point out that what I found also interesting is this is the time that Disney started collaborating, really started, I mean, they have before where they collaborate with popular artists, but this is the time that I felt they really started to integrate a lot more popular culture artists into these films. And uh, I mean, you had like, if I'm now I'm, I'm jumping a little bit, but like, uh, I think 95 Degrees did a, uh, a version of 98 Degrees. Uh, 98. Did I say 95? They're, they're, yeah, they're three, three degrees, three degrees off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 98 degrees did um, uh, True to Your Heart for Mulan, if I remember correctly. And they've, I mean, mm-hmm. they've done some of those things in the past as well. But this time, they there was a song, um, Something That I Want. And that was actually performed um, by Grace Potter from Grace Potter and the Nocturnals. And so I really liked that they were... It was not even just popular cult... It was popular culture artists, but also like indie artists and rock artists and things like that too they were really expanding uh who, what kind of artists were involved and you may, mentioned neo before so 
uh, I really appreciate that fact that they really expanded where um, you know, where in the past they mostly worked with pop artists um, for these different versions of their songs, especially during the end credits, and really expanded it to all kinds of different types of music. And that's what got me really excited deep diving into these films, is for that reason. Very true. Uh, and I should have mentioned that uh, from Princess and the Frog, for, uh, with with Neo, Never Knew I Needed You, I, I from the first note, I can't turn that song off. It's such a good song. Um, love that song and the way it's sung. But with uh, Grace Potter, with something that I want, like that's just a fun, poppy, like it, it sounds like something Rapunzel would sing. It's just such a, a fun, fun song. This definitely, you know, previous movie, we were talking about the incorporation of, of jazz, blues, Zydeco. Like there's there's a lot of uh, a cultural influence there. With Tangled, it's it's all Alan Mankin musical style um, of a performance here. And because of that, we go back to, while there is somewhat of a, a musical style with Princess and the Frog with some like almost there and down on New Orleans being a couple of themes that are carried through a lot of the songs. Um, my favorite from Tangled is... When will my life begin? Um, which takes us not through one, but two reprises. Um, so we have when will my life begin? When will my life begin? Reprise one. And when will my life begin? Reprise two. That one is my favorite of all three. Like when will my life begin is a great song. I admit great, great song. But the second reprise when she is out of her tower and is feeling the grass for the first time and singing about it. It's one of those moments where when I talked about the Disney Renaissance music, I get chills talking about it. This is another one that I get chills just talking about this reprise. Just smell the grass, the dirt, just like I dreamed they'd be. Beautifully written. It's very much like the Bell reprise from Beauty and the Beast when she's dreaming of something more. Um, except here, it's Rapunzel realizing what she has always wanted. Um, That's a good comparison. For her life to begin. Um, and we have another villain's reprise too. We love our reprises with Alan Menken, and we talked about with Aladdin the the, the fact that we have a reprise with Jafar. Um, he, although it was a reprise off of a hero song, this is a villain song and a villain song reprise, which is Mother Knows Best mm-hmm. and the reprise of that and how awesome Donna Murphy is when it comes to the vocals in her role as well. Fantastic. Brilliant. Yep. Um, we didn't talk about the 
I had mentioned it, but the real uh, award-winning song from this is I See the Light. Mm-hmm. Um, not my favorite song from the movie, but... See, that's interesting, because it is for me. Like, that, okay. is, that is my favorite, yeah. Um, so what about that song do you love? This is just a beautiful song. I mean... You know, it's, you know, I think also, too, is the, the whole sequence from the film and with, the you know, you know, them out on the lake is just absolutely beautiful. Um, but I just, it's just, a, it's a, just, a, it's a, again, not to keep on repeating myself, it's just a beautiful song. It's just, it's, it's it resonates with me. It's, you know, I just really like it. It's a little bit of the kiss the girl too of of this song they're both they're both in a boat <laughs> they're both sing, singing a romantic ballad um yeah it's a i mean it obviously is a beautiful song and it's not to say that i don't like the song but my my favorite is uh probably when will my life begin reprise too but I, you know interestingly what i do really like is from alan menken's uh score the uh song is called waiting for the lights which is a song that's played literally as they're waiting for the lights that goes into I See the Light. Um, I really like that song. I feel it captures a lot of the emotion in that moment, the anticipation of that that's, uh, Rapunzel is feeling, sort of the um, confusion or reflection that Eugene or Flynn Rider is, is addressing as well, and the serenity of being out on the water looking at the kingdom in the distance and the anticipation of those lights and so that really i really like that that part of the score and then the other song that's also from the score that i love is called kingdom dance and this is literally the song that they're they're walking before even they get to waiting for the lights when they're going through the kingdom and Rapunzel is taking Eugene through the town and really exploring everything and it gets to the point where they literally are dancing in the kingdom. song is just fun and upbeat and and it's also featured in the uh the tangled restroom area over at magic kingdom so See, you can hear it at the, that's parks. The, the, the major honor right is like if your music is being played right outside the restroom <laughs> after your film you know you made it <laughs> I, i'm only hoping that it gets you know rapunzel gets a, a major attraction and that's that will be featured in the uh the area music for uh, and she is getting major attraction just not at walt disney world um and that will be featured in the the area music for that mm-hmm. um 
Oh, and and the other, it's not my favorite, but my goodness, do I love this song. I've got a dream. Hmm. It's, I don't even know if you could classify it as a villain song. It's, they're they're more, um, trying to remember what you call villains that are actually heroes. Well, it's not an anti-hero. No, it's not an anti-hero, but um, they're like misunderstood heroes. (laughs) There. In this case. That's a good, that's a good description. I'll go, we'll go with that. Um, but I got it. I've got a dream. It's just such a fun song. The lyrics in that song are are super clever as well. Um, that's a chance where we talk in the Disney Renaissance about Alan Menken's um, sort of songwriting in general. And this is another one of those songs that I, I love the music. I love the lyrics. Just everything about it is just so much fun. And it, I think, we're actually topped it. One of my uh, for my Spotify playlist, my Spotify year wrap for 2022. It actually was one of the most uh listen to songs for 2022 for me wow. just in how often it came up when i was shuffling my disney music and and kept it on and listened to it so that's something to be said about that as well um Absolutely. anything else you want to talk about with tangled no that pretty much covers it all right let's go to winnie the pooh we got that in 2011 um so mike i know here we talked a little bit before about how there is a pair that are featured in winnie the pooh that yeah, right. people don't realize came started in the Disney space, technically started with Finding Nemo the Musical, but in Disney Animation, uh, did not start with Frozen, but started with Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Anderson Pooh. Lopez and Robert Lopez started with Winnie the Pooh. Which, let me tell you, the, this duo has such an incredible background. And for those who don't know, outside of, of course, you know, most well known for Frozen, but in addition to Winnie the Pooh, also did uh, WandaVision. So they were be- they were behind WandaVision, which, if you listen, makes a lot of sense. And um, mm-hmm. so, uh, and also two Broadway shows. One was Avenue Q, massive show, and the Book of Mormon. They did the music behind the Book of Mormon. It just blew my mind when I found out. That, that not a Disney friendly show. Not a Disney friendly show. If you have but, kids have not seen Book of Mormon, <laughs> please do not go see Book of Mormon with them. <laughs> so what's interesting though is on top of that, both of them, both of them have an EGOT, which if you remember, an EGOT is an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. So there are only 18 people that have ever achieved EGOTs. Only 18 ever in history. And these two were, you know, were both EGOT, uh, you know, received EGOT. Yeah, basically got EGOTs at this point. I think Robert was the youngest at the time when he was awarded the youngest EGOT winner as well. I believe so. And he is also the one who has won all four more than once. He's the only person ever in history to win all four of those more than once. If you think about it. Of all That's the crazy. people, isn't that incredible? I mean, what an amazing feat, and well deserved too. I mean, they're just so, so such such talented people, both of them. Yes. Um. So they they it's 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 wonderful that they got their start with such a beloved classic Disney story that seems to get retold a lot. There's a lot of Winnie the Pooh films and. You just can't seem to get enough of them because Winnie the Pooh is such a lovable character. And much like the books, you just want to read all the Winnie the Pooh books. And it's the same here with the with the movies. Um, the movie itself is a very uh, uh, 
standard Winnie the Pooh movie went from a storytelling perspective, which is great because the Winnie the Pooh movies are always very dependable when it comes to the the storytelling. And it's why they continue to make these Winnie the Pooh films are just beloved and um, they're just such great films. Um, I should also mention that Henry Jackman, who we're going to hear about later, wrote mm-hmm. the score for this. We also have to give some credits to the Sherman brothers for writing <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, the the title song, which which is uh, featured here, uh, sort of adapted for this movie. Um, he that also is uh, another song. Oh, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But the other the other person I wanted to mention from a musical perspective who is featured a lot in a very interesting move with this movie is Zoe Deschanel, which. People know Zoe a lot for her acting in movies, but she also is a musician and a really talented musician. singer. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, accomplished musician, absolutely. Uh, definitely has she if you mike you could correct me if i'm wrong but I, I do know that her her style is very much more of um like she does a lot of jazz she does a lot of well you indie. tell me like indie, like jazz indie yeah. kind of yeah she's yeah. she's very much not an traditional jazz. In, that, in, in that particular way um which is interesting because not only was she uh uh, performed on three of the seven tracks from the film, but also in the end credits for the song So Long, uh, she actually wrote the lyrics for that song, and but it was performed by M. Ward from the group She and Him, which also very much in that kind of vein too. So again, really liking how they're bringing in these very trending artists to to uh, perform these uh, songs for these Disney films. So uh, ab- absolutely fantastic choice. Yeah. The uh, there are other this part other members of the cast who are featured in the album, which are uh, Jim Cummings, who is he he is Winnie the Pooh, like he he is the yeah. modern Winnie the Pooh, also Tigger Tigger too. Um, so he he does the the speaking and the singing voices for Pooh and Tigger. Very interesting choice, Craig Ferguson, um, playing the role for Owl for this movie, and he sings in this movie too the Baxson song, and Bud Lucky does Eeyore, the title song winnie the pooh as i mentioned was really technically written by the sherman brothers but it does get a little bit of the uh zoe de chanel indie treatment with this movie um she also does a very important thing to do which admittedly i can never get out of my head whenever i hear it um because that does come up in my disney playlist as well there's the tummy song um it's going to be great which is sung by tigger everything is honey this one while not a sherman brothers song does feel like a hearkening back to the Sherman Brothers era. Um, so I did like sort of that tie back to some of the the traditional songs with Winnie the Pooh, modernized, um, and Pooh Finale, and then So Long, which you mentioned, Mike. And that was, while it did not win, it was nominated for a Grammy for Best Song Written for Visual Media. Um, and as we mentioned, this was also the last hand-drawn film from Disney Animation Studios. Um, Mike, you have a favorite song from this movie? No, <laughs> ironically, <laughs> I didn't think so. Ironically, I'm a bad guess. This is the one film I didn't get a chance you didn't to watch. See. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, so I haven't. Yeah. So I was listening to the soundtrack beforehand, but I don't necessarily honestly have a favorite off of this one. 
Yeah, there. Admittedly, I don't know why, but a very important thing to do. I just love that song. Come one, come two, come all. Everyone heed the call. There's a very important thing to do. Drop what you're doing and come. Bumpity bumpity bum. There's a very important thing to do. It's time to gather round. The work has just begun. And when it's done, then you'll have found that you have had some fun. With a monumentous, consequentious, very important thing to do. Um, so, Mike, I'm going to give you some homework to go back and listen to it. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and listen and actually watch the film this time. It's it's just I don't know how to describe it. It's it's peppy. It's fun. It's it's hopeful. It's it's just very classic, like optimistic Winnie the Pooh. So with with Zoe Deschanel singing it, too, it just it it. It's not like it's the the let it go of Winnie the Pooh, so I don't want to put it up on a pedestal of being this outstanding song. It's just such a like a delightful song. It's just so much fun to listen to. And then I also love Everything is Honey, as I mentioned, because that one does feel a bit like a Sherman Brothers song, um, even though it wasn't written by the Sherman Brothers, just because of the style that they they imbued in this particular piece. So those two songs are my favorite but we'll leave winnie the pooh there um because there are some incredible films to get to and the next one in 2012 is mike your favorite non-disney musical song from the disney revival era which is wreck it ralph i mentioned i mentioned that henry jackman composed the music the score i should say for winnie the pooh they brought him back a year later for wreck it ralph um but there's some you you have to talk about the the cultural impact with the, some of the pop artists, Mike, because you 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 mm-hmm. have been leading us into it, and there are some heavy hitters with Wreck It Ralph, and it's a, a totally different direction for Disney movies. I mean, if you consider Rihanna a, a heavy hitter, you know, maybe you know, well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so- yeah, you know, the song I'm referring to, of course, is Shut Up and Drive, which I love that song. song. Super, such a fun song. Such a super catchy song um, performed by Rihanna. Um, but also in during the end credits, you had When Can I See You Again from Owl City. Again, you know, popular rock, you know, rock group. Um, also, um, you have Sugar Rush um, from uh, AKB48, um, which was, I believe, a Japanese group, if I remember correctly. Yes. So yes, that was... So, um, which is fantastic, but even, um, even some of the music. So the, uh, if you notice, like when they go to, um, uh, why am I blanking on the name? The, um, uh, when they go to the first person shooter game, what was the first person? It was, was it called bug hunt heroes duty heroes duty. Thank you. Wow. See my favorite film and I'm forgetting everything about it. Uh, so Heroes Duty, thank you. So Heroes Duty, when they get there, because uh, the title song is called uh, the song for there is called Bug Hunt. That was actually done by Skrillex, mm-hmm. uh, which you can tell. I mean, it was very dubstep. So um, it was both uh, Skrillex as well as Noisia um, did uh, kind of like a remix of that um, for that area. So um, I thought that was really interesting. Something else I found very interesting too, considering all this. The, these original songs in there there was a, another song that they cut out that was actually by um you know by uh kristen anderson lopez and robert lopez they actually had a song for it but they decided it was probably not going to work for this particular film so i thought that was kind of interesting as well but yeah the 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 artists that were involved in this it was definitely a very different uh direction uh for disney but i i i 
I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very interesting. It definitely helped make it a very modern film. And I think especially for a game that, you know, sort of, excuse me, a film about video games that made total sense to me. Yeah, this has a different vibe than any other Disney movie. And I think that's why it's one of the reasons why it's so popular and why it got a sequel as well. Um, it, it really does. I think the timing of this movie was perfect because, Mike, you and I grew up going to arcades like that. That was I remember going to arcades just like that, playing games just like that. Um, and while, you know, these are not these are like based on i think like wreck it ralph is technically based on donkey kong if i'm not yeah, for mistaken the most part. This, yeah, yeah very, like the very same... donkey kong influence absolutely yeah um and, so it's go ahead no say, like in a lot of games of that era so very like 19 you know 1970s 1980s arcade game style i mean that like fix the felix jr was really influenced by that and the yes. fact that like you know donkey kong had a donkey kong jr game like this so it was it was very much an homage to especially for those type of arcade games definitely donkey kong influence for sure yeah the 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 hero characters in this too being a, a really interesting choice of characters from a, like we could talk just about the movie itself being being such a, a fantastic um story but the the choice of characters and like having having the you know technically the 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 villain of a video game be the hero of the story. Um, and then having Penelope von Schweetz being a, another really like interesting choice of characters to, to pick for this and her quirks and her, um, you know, the differences between her and, and all the other Disney characters that are out there. And the music choice really fits within this too. It's a very different type of Disney movie. Um, it feels like it does to your point, Mike, like it feels like a, a, a video game. Like that's that's kind of what it's designed to. And the score by Henry Jackman also feels very much like a video game and is written to be like a a, a video game score. So you get a lot of the um sort of eight bit sounds that you get from the arcade. Exactly. Um yeah, like I, I just love the direction that he went in with creating the score and trying to. There are moments that it does feel more like a Disney movie, and you get some more of a like an or an orchestral, less electronic vibe from the sounds that are that are produced. But a lot of the movie too is is like even just the um, the the main theme for Fix It Felix Junior um, is a hundred percent harkening back to arcade theme songs arcade video game theme songs oh absolutely i also am curious too uh <laughs> when when the the do the the um the uh, uh the part of the film where fix a felix is is stuck in the candy and they have the laffy coming down this laffy, <laughs> the laffy taffy all, the, the laffy taffy and then they're all like singing and things like that too <laughs> such a funny movie um there's what's your favorite song from here? Because there's you know this is a different type again, different type of soundtrack than we're used to. I it, you know what it's Sugar Rush.
It's Sugar, Sugar Rush, Rush by so AKB48. It's so good. It's so it's so catchy, and I and I I love the fact of how hooky it is. Like I, as soon as I heard 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 that, like I actually have that like in general a song that I like to play, just even outside of Disney music, because it's just such a fun song. Yeah, I had a lot of trouble picking a favorite from here. We also forgot to mention that in the end credits is uh, a Buckner and Garcia song, uh, Wreck-It, Wreck-It Ralph, um, mm, that's right. which is another one that I, I really like. But um, I, I really cannot decide between When Can I See You Again, Wreck-It, Wreck-It Ralph, Sugar Rush, and Shut Up and Drive, which one is my favorite. Um the hero's duty song uh, is is really it's, it's the, uh, all right uh, that one's not going to be my favorite but it's yeah it's it, got it's, a fun electronic vibe to it yeah it has a cool electronic vibe but i mean every single one of those songs is is, is super fun and catchy and yeah so i yeah, agree I, it's insert, a tough choice, insert any me, song here <laughs> yeah insert any song here but yes for me i at least i definitely would say sugar rush definitely yeah and i have to call out the score as well um not only for the the theme for fix it felix jr that i referenced but the other part of the score where i mentioned that it does get to be a little bit more cinematic is really the word i was looking for was called or is called you're my hero and this is the climax part of the film i'm not gonna if you in case you haven't seen the movie i know it's over 10 years old now but um i'm not gonna say exactly what happens but the middle section of that song where ralph recites back um a particular uh villain's creed um but in a different kind of way really another uh, moment that sends chills down your spine tears in your eyes whatever however you want to think about it um it's the uh heroic climax of the film and the score that henry jackman wrote to accompany that sequence is um again like when you compare it to like the disney renaissance is it as monumental as we talked about transformation for beauty and the beast probably not but um on a on a slightly smaller scale it really does sort of hit the right emotions that for the audience in that particular moment. There's one more thing I would like to add also, and I, I totally agree yes. with you, but there's one more thing is that, again, I love the little details and not just about the Easter eggs for video games, but just these little details from pop culture as well. And one of the things that I remember laughing so hard because I thought I was the only one who did this is there was a scene when they were um, going to King Candy's castle and they're seeing the guards and you see the Oreos and they go, Oreo. (laughs) And it's from Wizard of Oz. And I remember, like, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember that's how I would say it as a kid and we're like, make, you know, make fun of it because it doesn't, oh, it sounds like that they were saying Oreo. And I'm like, and I laughed so hard. I'm like, I'm not the only one who thought that way. (laughs) So that, that was hysterical and brilliant. And I appreciate I appreciate the fact that they put that in there because I really thought I was one of the only few people that actually thought like that way. Yeah, we thought we had the crazy family. And yeah, we, we do. Oh, we do. To we be do. Fair, we but. do. But, <laughs> but we're, I guess we're not the only ones. So that that made me real. Like, okay, you know what I really like about that too. Honestly, on a on just a completely random side note, is that the people that are behind these films are like us. 
And especially yes. at this point, you know, is that now, because now we're all adults, these are people that are now doing the animation that are part of the editing, that are part of, of, you know, creating the music and so forth with these amazing people. But now we have people like us that are involved in these films and you can tell, you can see like here and there, um, you know, influences and references the things that we, you know, we knew as kids. And so it's really great to see them now into these films because they're just like us now. Yeah. Very, very true. Well, uh, now I want to go back and watch Wreck-It Ralph uh, for so many reasons. But <laughs> I have a very important year. question. A very important question, Mike. Do yes. you want to build a snowman? I always want to build a snowman. I, I have so many puns, I just can't let it go. Um, the <laughs> <laughs> Maybe only in summer, though. <laughs> only in summer. Um, the So the next movie we have is... Oh, one of the big ones from the Disney revival era. It is, I mean, Tangled obviously hit, uh, struck a chord as as far as sort of leveling up um, our our Disney soundtracks. But we we hit a, a, a real next level when it came to Frozen. Um, this broke a lot of records. It it really let it go. Um, we're talking about Frozen, of course. By the way, in case you haven't caught on to our puns, let it go. It broke the record for, I believe, um, from The Lion King. I think it was, uh, it was not Circle of Life. I think it was Can You Feel the Love Tonight, I believe, being the most yeah. popular song. Um, well, so this broke that, that record. It broke <laughs> that record. Also, it hit the top 10 of Billboard, which Disney films has, hasn't done since Colors of the Wind from Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. So, long time. Long drought, that's for sure. Uh, so, but yeah, it, it's Let It Go, uh, you know, not only massive hit, uh, you know, 10.9 million copies sold, major, major hit. There's, um, you know, there's a the, the uh, pop version from Demi Lovato. There's even a remix version that's out there of Let It Go. And I mean, and millions of covers that so many people have done off of this song. Massive, massive hit. Um, and also one best song, best song, by the way, um, for an Oscar. Um, as well as uh, Grammy for best song for visual media. So, you know, incredible song. I mean, that's what everyone knows. If you had kids during that time, I am so sorry because you probably heard the song so many times that you never want to hear that <laughs> song ever again in your life. But it is such a great song. And uh, Disney does know that it's become sort of the It's a Small World of uh, 2013. <laughs> <laughs> they, That's a good reference. <laughs> they they know they overdid it a little bit. Um, yeah. it, it was it was in every nighttime spectacular in one way or another. <laughs> it was referenced in so many places. Yeah. Um, and so that I mean Disney kind of caught on to that eventually. Like maybe we maybe we hit the gas a little too much. Yeah, and let like it go. Maybe it a, yeah, maybe it was a little too much. But I mean, it is, it's such a, it, it is such a good song. It's a, it's it's a catchy song. It's an empowering song. It's 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 really great. It's it definitely is. This movie, the music, also I think they got they replicated the formula that they had from the Disney Renaissance, where they paired a great composer or in this case two great composers with a solid cast um so that the soundtrack on its own adds to the film and maybe even brings people into the movie because they just gotta hear these songs so we have we referenced before that everyone knows Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez for Frozen. They started with Winnie the Pooh, technically in Disney Animation Studios, but here's where they really start to shine. Um, but then the casting choice, Adina Menzel as Elsa. 
right out the gate. I mean, you have a a Broadway icon from Wicked, from Rent. I mean, she really is a fantastically talented person to choose for this role and to sing these songs that they have developed. Even Kristen Bell as Anna, another fantastic casting choice, both for the character and for the songs that are chosen. Jonathan Groff, another fantastic casting choice, background in Broadway, um, really an incredible, gifted, talented um, actor and singer. Same thing for Josh Gad. A lot of people know him as a goofy guy, but background in Broadway. <laughs> um, actually yeah. started, also had a, a big hit in Book of Mormon. So that I didn't even realize the connection with uh, Chris Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. Um, that is interesting. Did not know Josh that Gad there. And who am I missing? Uh, Santino Fontana as Hans. Not as well known, but also a really uh, has a great great role in this movie and a talented choice for um, sort of singing along to <clears throat> love is an open door. And then Mike, you talk about the, uh, you know, the, the pipe, uh, the pop icon inclusion as well. We have a uh, Demi Lovato um, singing uh, the, the credit version of let it go. So it, what's interesting too, is I also do want to point out who uh, wrote the score, which was uh, Christoph Beck. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about him is that he really hasn't done too much, but but he did do the short film Paper Man, which was the short that was in front of Wreck-It Ralph. And if you haven't watched it, I don't. I think it's on Disney Plus, and I hope, really hope it is. It is a beautiful short film. It's it it you know for for it beautiful animation, great story. Um, definitely highly re- recommend it. But he came off of that to do the score for for frozen and i do want to make a side note on those short films yes is that i really do miss those i i really appreciate that they brought that back especially during that time frame that a uh, number of films had these short films ahead of time pixar started like brought that as a pixar influence yeah yeah it was a pixar influence um and i mean that was that was something that was done you know for a long time ago uh, you know especially um the early days of of movie theaters that you would have a, usually a couple at least one if not multiple different shorts before the actual feature and Disney so they, was the shorts before yeah exactly Disney was the shorts. Yeah. exactly so they brought that back um well pixar did and then they kind of did that you know had a similar tradition in um, a number of these films, Wrecker Ralph being one of them. And I really do miss that. I really think that was something that was very unique and special and was it allowed the animators to really play with stories that maybe not enough to do a full feature for, but at least tell some, you know, do something and to be creative and to, and to, to really, ex, you know, to test things and to test things out too and seeing what audiences like and dislike. So uh, I really do hope they bring that back some point because I really did, did enjoy those short films. I did too. So let's talk about Frozen though. Um because yes. I, I love that tangent about about the uh the shorts because I, I definitely agree. But uh this soundtrack is written like a musical. Like mm-hmm. it, and that's that's another reason why it became a musical is because it's it it has the capacity to be a a Broadway musical, um, even from the the beginning with frozen hearts um you know sort of like you could picture the the cast singing um sort of like the the supporting cast singing that song as we have the uh the character start to make the title character start to make their way onto the onto the stage born of cold and winter air and mountain rain combined 
This icy course, both foul and fair, has a frozen harbor lining. So cut through the heart, cold and clear, strike for love and strike for fear. See the beauty sharp and sheer, split the ice apart and break the frozen heart. Watch your step. Do you want to build a snowman for the first time in forever? Love is an open door. Let it go. Reindeers are better than people. Fantastic song. In summer, <laughs> um, for the first time in forever, reprise. We have another reprise, just like uh, you know, like another influence from from Broadway. And Fixer Upper, um, making their way as there are nine, really like nine Broadway style songs in this film which is a lot that's a, that's a lot in fact i actually found out it's 23 minutes of the film wow which is a lot <laughs> it's like it's about 25 percent of the movie if i were yeah to, like, like almost math, a quarter yeah. a quarter of frozen is the musical songs themselves well it's it, it says a lot um <laughs> it does is uh so Mike is Let It Go your favorite song from this movie? It is. I, I promise, like later down the road, it won't be always the most popular song off of them, but it's just such a good song. It's and I I thoroughly enjoy it. So definitely, <laughs> Let It Go is on my list. So I didn't have kids at the time, so it's to me, I'm not tired of that song. I I really do enjoy it. Let's get more specific. What's your favorite part of Let It Go? The bridge. Yeah, I was gonna say the same exact thing. That that absolutely is my favorite part of the song too. The um, the way that it builds towards uh, the next part of the song is just amazing. Um, it's it's that's the part of the song that gives me chills every time. And the me way too. Elsa sings it, and then the the visuals that go with it too. Um, oh, it's, it's and she's creating the castle around her. She's oh. It makes you want to like go and build something. It's just, or and or isolate yourself too. And I don't know if that's a thing either. (laughs) Build something Um, good. Yes, it's an empowering, empowering part of the song. It's a very empowering part of the song. Yes, absolutely. Um, And that is the theme that's carried through. This is Mike. You mentioned earlier, sort of empowerment and um, obviously letting go of anything holding you back from reaching your true self and your true potential. There's a lot that is in that song from a messaging perspective that can bring you motivation for anything you might be working on in life. So great song to queue up in your motivational playlist. If you haven't already, um, it is. The other it, one, it, 
Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, like I say, it's a very freeing song as well, right? Because it's, it's about, you know, Elsa having, you know, authenticity. This, uh, you know, this burden of responsibilities on her shoulders and basically literally letting it all go and just being, you know, being freeing herself and allowing herself to to be who she ultimately wants to be or who she th- you know thinks she wants to be at this point in time um in the film and you know i think that's also important important too because we oh you know in general have these feelings of expectations on our lives of how we are supposed to be and so forth and that and not being able to truly express ourselves or to be able to live the lifestyle that we truly want and i think that's also what's so powerful about a song like let it go yeah the other one I wanted to mention that I love from this movie is For the First Time in Forever. I really enjoyed that song, too. Is that your favorite yeah. or is it, is it Let no, It Go? It, it's Let It Go. But um, if I had to forget that one, then I would pick For the First Time in Forever as my favorite. Um, just Kristen Bell singing that one. And um, it's... Uh, it's ho- it's it's just hopeful it's it's optimistic it's it's full of anticipation it's uh really and it's a catchy song um I just so want to show some chocolate in my face. That's what I, <laughs> I can relate to that <laughs> I, I, I love chocolate too so I've got a sweet tooth um but uh yeah so that's that's uh, I can't wait to get the frozen too because we're we've got a lot to say about that but Absolutely. I, I, I I feel like we could, again, like there's certain movies we could gravitate on and spend entire episodes about, but I, I feel like we hit a lot of the major points for Frozen. Um, so let's There's keep... one more thing. I do oh, go ahead. To, sorry. Sorry. One hey, more thing ahead, I do ahead. want to point out real quick is that, you know, we, we do, you know, obviously a big part of this film is the musical songs themselves. But I do want to uh, take credit back to Christoph Beck for the soundtrack itself and the composition, because he really did a fantastic job with the orchestration of bringing homages from in Norwegian culture and some uh, country culture, excuse me, I pronounced it a little wrong, um, but also taking um, it, you know regional instruments and incorporating it into the music uh, is something that I really felt you can, you can feel it throughout the entire film and having this like this very you know n- you know this this nor you know nor- norwegian type of you know feeling towards this and you know this entire you know info frozen in general i don't know where i'm going with this but you get my point like it's it, oh i do i, I appreciate the, the the culture cultural elements they brought into frozen and it definitely makes it you can hear it too like even even not just in the film itself like even if you do um uh you know if you if you ride you know you know the flume ride in in epcot you can hear it too it's like it's very much influenced throughout the entire movie that's true. And I, I did have a note, which I forgot to mention uh, from the score. I was just so gravitated towards the songs that from the score itself, The Great Thaw is my favorite song from the score. And if you know what part of the movie involves thawing, um, again, not to spoil it, maybe for someone who hasn't seen the movie, please go and see it. Uh, that that sequence, again, towards the end of the film, um, sort of a transformation-ish kind of moment, uh, definitely has a, a similar vibe to it um and i love i love how that builds into this joyous moment uh it's a really great part of the song
The next two are, I think, equal in their their scores and their soundtracks. Um, well, I think I think these are these are kind of quick ones to hit on. Um, I, I but we we should talk a little bit about each. So first up, uh, Big Hero Six in 2014. Welcome back to Imagination Central. I sincerely hope you enjoyed part one of our conversation about the music of the Disney revival era. There were so many amazing films to talk about, and I hope you geeked out as much as we did talking about the music from these movies. Be sure to stay tuned for part two next week, where we're going to discuss the remaining films in the Disney revival era, which includes some big ones. We have Big Hero 6, Zootopia, Moana, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Frozen 2, Raya and the Last Dragon, we cap things off with Encanto, as well as our final thoughts about the significance and some of our favorites from the Disney revival era. If you're a fan of the music of these films, it's an episode you certainly will not want to miss. Of course, I want to turn this conversation over to you and ask which of the songs from the movies that we discussed today, from Princess and the Frog up until Frozen, you love the most. You can send in your answers and join the conversation with others by finding Imagination Skyway on your favorite social media channels. I've gone in and posted this question to several locations, including on our Instagram page, and our Facebook group, and you can find links to all of these places over at imaginationskyway.com. Don't worry if you're listening to the show way in the future, if this is 2024, 2025, or even beyond that, you can, of course, just tag me in the post in any social media channel or reach out to me directly and let me know your answers to these questions. I also encourage you to join and subscribe to Imagination Skyway on your favorite podcast app, which include over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Amazon Music. There are so many places to enjoy the show. No matter which app you're listening to, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you are the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. And if you have a moment to leave us a rating in that podcast app, especially if you're listening in Apple Podcasts or in Spotify, that really helps the show out. If you leave a review, I'll, I will love reading the reviews that come in and I will often share them out to our social media pages. I'm very appreciative that we have maintained a 4.9 out of 5 stars in Apple Music and in Spotify. It helps to increase our relevance in these communities and helps others discover the show. So even that simple little thing goes a long way to help the podcast out. But if you want to take your love of Imagination Skyway to the next level, I would encourage you to join our Patreon group. It's a great way to support the show. It kind of keeps the lights on here with Imagination Skyway, helps us to get more content and new opportunities through this community. You get in return for your support some really great benefits. They are subject to change depending on when you're listening to the show. But at this point, they include things like access to a private member Facebook group. We do watch parties that are usually Disney Plus watch parties, which are always so much fun. We have virtual events that we host, including just weekly coffee chats where we get together on Zoom and chat about life and all things Disney and what's new that week. Great way to connect with others. Plus, if you are interested in our binaural audio, I have about 60 at this point uh, streaming files that you can stream on the go from my audio recordings from Walt Disney World and Disneyland and beyond, plus bonus podcast episodes and so much more. You can learn more and join our Patreon group over at imaginationskyway.com community. And I want to, as always, thank 
are members of this Patreon group. Last but not least, well, before last but not least, I almost forgot. We have to talk about our partners, our travel partners. When you're ready to book a trip to Walt Disney World or to Disneyland or Disney Cruise Line or Aulani, any other Disney destination, Adventures by Disney, you'll want to reach out to our travel partner, Magical Park Vacations. They are a complimentary travel agency, as many travel agencies are, but they have an incredible uh, service that they can provide for you. They'll help you to plan and book your next Disney vacation and have an incredible team that I personally work with and they're who I use. One of my favorite things, as I've talked about in the past, is just when I'm ready to take a Disney trip, now that they know me and know my information, uh, I just text them and say, hey, Kim, which is usually who I reach out to, uh, hey, Kim, I'm interested in going to Disney this weekend. And she sends me the quotes. I just let her know what I'm interested in and she books it for me. It just makes life so much easier. It keeps me involved in the planning process, but takes out a lot of those in between steps plus she helps me to figure out some of the other locations i can stay at um, some things i might not consider about pricing and so much more and i love that like again with most travel agencies this is a complimentary service that is really a great way to uh, help to plan out your disney vacation and you'll want to consider working with their um, sister company the park planners which is a concierge planning service they're a little more hands-on and thinking very specifically about your Disney vacation and not just where to stay and where to eat and those sorts of questions, but also how to navigate the parks based on your preferences. They'll come up with a game day plan basically for each day of your vacation, helping you to navigate the parks. And one of my favorite uh, secrets about this company is the fact that they offer support on your vacation. So if you ever have a question or if anything comes up, you could just text your agent and ask them any question that might come up and they'll help sort things out for you or change plans for you or make sure that you are having the best possible time ever. And I love working with the park planners. You can learn more about them by finding the park planners on social media. I know at some point they're going to be changing over to the parkplanners.com, but for now you can still follow or reach out to them on their old website, which is at www.parkplanners.com. And I'll leave links for all this over at imaginationskyway.com and in the notes of this podcast episode. Now let's get to our wrap up thoughts. I want to remind you, as I always do, to go after your hopes and your dreams and your goals, whatever they might might be. I've sort of picked up on a new theme here in 2023. It's a quote from Walt, which seems a little bit uh, brash, but it's really important to remember. The best thing to do is to quit talking and begin doing, paraphrasing a little bit. But it's one thing to talk about your dreams, but the real way to make your dreams come true is to start doing today. Figure out how you can manifest your dreams and goals in 2023, this week, this month, this year, or at the very least, take that first step to making your dreams come true. Thank you so much, as always, for riding aboard Imagination Skyway. And remember, if we can dream it, we can do it.
I'm malicious, mean and scary. My sneer could curdle dairy. And violence-wise, my hands are not the cleanest. But despite my evil look and my temper and my hook, I've always yearned to be a concert pianist. Can't you see me on the stage performing Mozart? Tickling the ivory till they bleed. Yep, I'd rather be called deadly for my killer show to medley. Thank you, cause way down deep inside I've got a dream. He's got a dream, he's got a dream. CIA does rule and vicious as I see. I do like breaking femurs You can count me with the dreamers Like everybody else I've got a dream I've got scars and lumps and bruises Well, something here that oozes When you're at Walt Disney World Resort For the world's most magical celebration Every moment is amazing The joy is never-ending and the memories last a lifetime. Because when you celebrate with us, nothing could be more magical. Contact Magical Park Vacations to book your Walt Disney World Resort vacation today. Call 585-662-3686 or visit MagicalParkVacations.com.